Do you want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily. It's called Spotify for Podcasters. It lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. You know I love that, and I promise you the other platforms don't offer that. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can also earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. I've been using Spotify for Podcasters from the very start. I highly recommend you give it a try. Just don't post on Monday. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Welcome, everyone, to Monday Match Analysis. I'm Gil Gross. We're playing tennis on three different surfaces at the same time right now, and it's wild. So we'll talk about that. Stefanos Tsitsipas, first title of 2020. It's been a tough year for him so far, but the uh, the struggles end in Marseille. He beats FAA in the final 6-3, 6-4. The Canadian now 0-5 in finals. I'll spend the majority of the first part of the show talking about that Marseille final. Also, Riley Opelka, he wins his second career title in Delray Beach. He beats Nishioka. And then finally, in South America on the clay, it is Christian Garin or Garin, depending on if you want to say it correctly or if you want to sound like an American. Uh, he wins Rio, beating Jean-Luca Magere in the final, who... Uh, got to the final via an upset over Dominic Team. So some interesting, unexpected results in Rio. That's a huge tournament for uh, Majer, up to world number 77. And uh, but but Garin it has really been probably the most successful clay court specialist in the last two seasons. Over the course of the last two seasons, at least so far. I mean, he's won, I believe, four titles in the last two years. So he's in good company. That's a lot of titles. And when I say clay court specialist, I mean someone who's not much of a threat on other surfaces. But you got to give uh, you got to give Guardian a lot of credit for the results that he's put up in the last two years. That's all I'll say about that. Uh, I'll hit on Riley Opelka real quick. The easy comparison for the 22-year-old American is John Isner. That's the comparison that, that everyone's going to naturally make. He's tall. He's American. Uh, he's got a big serve. I believe at this stage that he will have a better career than John Isner, who a lot of people forget. I mean, Isner was a super late bloomer, played really his best tennis at around age you know, 32, 33. Now he's up to age 34 and starting to drop, still inside the top 20. But let's com- let's do that right now, right off the bat. Let's compare Isner and Opelka. Opelka's got a more natural backhand. He's got better footwork, which makes his overall baseline game more consistent. And he's still got the first serve. But overall, because his movement is more natural from the back, I, I believe his potential surpasses that of John Isner. There are still some areas where developmentally he might be behind John Isner and uh, certainly behind where, you know, if he wants to reach prime Isner, there's two main areas where he needs to develop. One is his second serve. 
Isner's got the best in tennis. It's not just the, the big, booming first serve that Isner has. He's got the best kick serve on tour. So Opelka lags behind in second serving, and he lags behind in the forehand, which is very stiff technically, and I don't like how high his follow-through is. That To me, that's not the modern forehand, and I, I'm, not, I'm not really one to critique technique as long as it works, it works. But the reality of his forehand is it's not the weapon that it needs to be for someone who wants to play you would think as, as offensively as Opelka wants to play because certainly doesn't want to be defending. When you're six foot nine, tennis is not a sport like basketball. You don't want to be six foot nine. When you're six foot nine, you got to do certain things to compensate for your inevitably slower movement around the court. And what someone like John Isner does is you got to play really aggressive with your forehand. You got to do damage and finish points quickly. So the way Isner did it, developed a huge forehand, got a lot better at the net as his career progressed. So he was able to finish points quickly. Uh, and I just feel like Opelka is in a position where if he does the same thing that Isner did developmentally, he's already way ahead in the movement, the footwork, and the backhand category. So, And uh, if we're just going off raw numbers, I checked because I was curious. John Isner at the age of 22 was outside the top 80. And uh, Opelka is is way above, way ahead of that already. Let's take a look at the thumbnail. Before we get to Marseille, it's Felix Ojeda-Alisim, it's Stefano Tsitsipas. After the trophy ceremony, they are shaking hands. I just want to check for you guys because I realized I didn't, I didn't say what Opelka's ranking is. So let me just quickly grab that for you guys. Opelka is currently world number 39. So way ahead of where John Isner was. Just wanted to be exact there and uh, precise. So let's get to Tsitsipas FAA. We'll start with uh, Stefanos because he won the match. I don't feel like Tsitsipas reinvented the wheel here. It's nothing I haven't seen from him before. His Some of his weaknesses were, were still weaknesses in this match, but the key is that his strengths were uh, well put to use. And when Tsitsipas is focused, when he's confident, there's a couple things he does really well, and he did those things well in this match. Again, there were still things in this match that he didn't do very well because he usually doesn't, and that remained the case. The return, still not great. Did he miss a lot of backhand returns? Yes, he did. Did he drop a lot of backhand short in the court? Yeah, he did. And that's why Felix has done really well in this matchup, in my opinion, because uh, FAA has done a great job of punishing Pass on the backhand wing for dropping the ball short because he's so good at pouncing on short balls. Felix is. Because of how much time he takes away, his aggressive court position, how he loves to create forehands for himself with his really quick footwork and how big he's able to hit his forehands inside the court. That's what I've seen from this matchup. Also, the big first serve can bother Tsitsipas's returning. So it's good that Felix was able... It's good for uh, for Steph, uh, at least. It's a big win for Stefanos. Not only because he breaks the slump that he's been in in 2020 to start the season... And by the way, a couple things we'll get to later in the show. Daniil Medvedev, Roger Federer's surgery. Um, 
Those are the two things that I remember from comment response. But but Medvedev especially, I'm excited to talk about him uh, because I think people are interested in what's gone on with the Russian who has zero good results so far, except for the ATP Cup. He played a really good match against Djokovic. Since then, he, he hasn't done anything impressive, uh, to be quite frank, based on Medvedev's standards. Um, so, where was I? Um, yeah, so Tsitsipas played a focus match. What he did well, he had a lot of clutch serving. He was steady, didn't make a lot of errors, which he can do. He does that. He's an aggressive player, but he's a steady, aggressive player. He's moving really well, by the way. And that's one thing that I think is worth highlighting, that he he looks very explosive around the court. Compared to where he was two years ago, night and day, Tsitsipas continues to get more explosive. And I think he continues to develop physically, which at his age... That should be happening, and it certainly is. Um, really good in the midcourt with his forehand, very efficient at the net, clutch serving, and just did enough, just did enough defense and scrambling in a few of the FAA service games to get a couple of breaks. He broke serve three times in this match. He was not dictating in any of these instances. He was running. He was defending. He was steady. He's not the most prolific player in that situation, but he's good enough to get a few breaks. And if he's serving and hitting his forehand as well as he can, when he's confident, he does those two things so well. The forehand is such a weapon. And when it's not missing, it's doing damage. That was the case in this match for Tsitsipas. It was enough to win the match quite easily. For Felix, the same problems that I outlined last week persisted. A couple things that I want to develop. I'm not going to delve into FAA shot selection. I did that last week, but the same problem exists for me. FAA was really good, by the way, more patient in his semifinal match against Simone. Even in instances where he was breathing heavy, where he was out of breath, that's a scenario where you worry about a player possibly going for too much, possibly overplaying. It's something that Felix has had a tendency to do. I was really impressed against Simone that how patient FAA was. He was willing to give himself margin on his forehand. He was willing to play long rallies. He was willing to work a point. The big difference between Tsitsipas and Simone is Simone will not threaten to put Felix in um, defensive positions. Simone is so passive that Felix can, can play a safer shot and not have to worry about falling behind in the rally and having to defend. So the level of pressure is completely different night and day. So it's not surprising that Felix was patient against Simone and not patient against Tsitsipas. Because Tsitsipas is a dangerous player offensively. The reality of the situation is Felix is not that comfortable defending. And I misjudged his game. I, I just have to be honest with you. I misjudged Felix's game. Not to say that the things I've said about how promising he is as a player, 
that I'm going back on those or that, 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 or that I was wrong. That's not what I'm saying at all. Felix is still incredibly promising, still has the potential to be a future world number one and a future Grand Slam champ. But I misjudged his game because I thought he was a very willing defender when I first watched him and it was on clay. Ooh, the clay can be deceptive. It can. It can, it can get you. It's gotten me before. And this was a, a case of the first time I saw FAA, it was on a clay court, a slower clay court. It was in Rio, actually. And clay is easier to defend on. It's a slower court. It's just a lot easier to drop back and chase down balls and you have more time. And I thought Felix was a, a more willing defender. Now, I remember pointing out that I didn't get to see him play much defense because he's constantly dictating. So I remember that, but I, I felt that when he had to play defense, I was impressed. But as time has gone on, I've realized that, that there are some, some shortcomings for Felix defensively. He needs to be an offensive player. More on that a little bit later. There were still too many errors from Felix. It still lost him the match. He was not hit off the court from Stefanos. Uh, Tsitsipas mainly had to remain steady on the return games, and FAA played some loose games. Here's 1-2. Felix uh, had awkward footwork coming to the net, missed that volley. Later in the game, um, oh, well, well, this was this was break point. He misses this forehand, no pressure. The point before, it was deuce. He misses this forehand. It's a no-pressure forehand. Missed this one wide. No, he missed this one wide. He missed this one long, trying to go inside in. Um, later in the second set, he gets broken in this game at 2-all. This is a backhand down the line that goes just wide. He misses this overhead, the next point. Then later, he misses this backhand down the line, no pressure. Earlier in the game, he missed this backhand down the line. For those listening, I'm showing screenshots. These are all instances where Tsitsipas is playing defense and is behind in the point, and Felix is making errors with no pressure. These are not forced errors. These are all unforced errors. This is all Steph just relying on FAA to miss and getting the misses when he needs them. Later in the game, this is uh, advantage Tsitsipas. This is an instance where Tsitsipas uh, makes a good pass, counterattack, cross-court pass, beautiful. Uh, very important shot in this match. Now, Felix would break back. Here you see it's 3-all. In the second set, Felix breaks back. Check out this missed volley. Oh, this should be a 10 out of 10 volley into the open court. Felix misses this volley. Double break point for Tsitsipas and then misses this backhand where he's inside the court. Easy. No pressure. Unforced error in the midcourt. So you, you could you could put a montage together of easy shots that FAA missed. He didn't play a terrible match. Man, he played a lot better in this match than he did against Monfils. But still, there were enough errors in there. Tsitsipas. Tsitsipas. I've said his name thousands of times at this point, so I can't. I I don't know why I butchered it three times in a row there. Um, he again, he served well and hit a lot of good forehands in the midcourt. 
on his service games. But on his return games, he didn't have to be quite as aggressive. He he often can't be so aggressive because his return doesn't put him in aggressive positions. He, he doesn't have a Roger Federer-like um, dynamic to his return games where he can, when he's at his best, when Federer's at his best, he's taking the initiative and pl- uh, creating offense right off the return. Tsitsipas can't do that, so he, he uses his movement and his defense, scrambles, hopes to draw some errors. He did that in this match. So I have one more point to make before we move on to the comments. I want I want a lot of time for comments. Uh, Felix's game. He should be aiming to play a lot like Tsitsipas. Tsitsipas slash Federer. And this goes back to how I misjudged his game. I didn't realize this when I first saw Felix. Now I do. The mold for Felix to be successful. The role models that he should have. And the, the game style that he needs to follow. Tsitsipas and Federer. Players who make a living off of first strike tennis. Players who are brilliant at dictating with their forehands. That's what FAA is. That's what he needs to be. So what he needs to dissect is what's missing from their arsenal. What do they have that Felix doesn't quite have? Now defensively, I've noticed a couple things with FAA. But I don't know if that's going to be the difference. I'll tell you what I've noticed, but then I want to flip the script right back to the offense. Something that is essential in Tsitsipas and Federer's game that Felix doesn't have. It's not defense, but I'm going to tell you anyway. I've noticed that on the forehand side, all Felix really has going for him is the squash defense, which is pretty good. He's got pretty good when he... Continental grip, takes a hack, open stance at the ball. He's pretty good at defending that way. But it's a floating ball. It, it's a desperation move. That's that's not a, you know, it's a good tool to have. Don't get me wrong. But what Felix is missing is, is topspin cross-court defense on the forehand side. He often goes down the line when he's hitting over it. And it's very wristy. And it's he just does not have repeatable cross-court topspin defensive forehands that he can rely on. Uh especially out of the open stance. He doesn't have it. Backhand, same thing. He does not defend his backhand corner that well um, because he is not overly comfortable hitting with a lot of topspin out of the open stance. Uh, he, again, he, he, he plays rather aggressively when he's put in defensive position and it's, on the backhand, he also likes to go line a lot. And that's what's leading to a lot of errors. So his defense just isn't very developed. But he can be successful without that, especially if he's not having second serve issues. Talk about a guy who's tough to break with the with the explosiveness that he has off of his forehand wing. His first serve still very, very big. He's so good at taking time away. It's still a really tough guy um, to break. His return... He covers the service box really well. It, he, he misses returns sometimes, but that, that maybe he can make, but his return's pretty good. He, he still has great court coverage. He just doesn't have the defensive racket skills. Anyway, there's a lot going for him. Here's what he's missing. The net play. 
I'm starting to realize how important uh, the net play is for um, for FAA and what a what a big missing piece that is. So I just want to show you TT Pass here. Uh, here's a point. Love thirty, really big point in the second set. He's so comfortable in this situation. He's pushed FAA back. And Felix hits a really good two-shot pass here. He dips it right at the shoelaces of Tsitsipas. And uh, Stefanos needs to dig a volley out here. But he does. He hits a clean drop volley winner. It's a huge shot for him. But here's how it affects him. Here's how it affects his all-court game. When Tsitsipas gets a mid-court forehand like that, he doesn't feel pressure to make it very good. He's so comfortable coming to the net that look how much margin he has on that forehand down the line. He can hit that three feet inside the sideline and four to five feet inside the baseline. This is not a great approach shot. He knows it doesn't need to be a great approach shot. It's just got to be good enough where where he can finish the next ball on a volley. And that's why you're not going to see Tsitsipas make a lot of errors from this position. He, when he's confident, he's not missing midcourt forehands like Felix is. Now, FAA in this scenario does not make, uh, doesn't make Tsitsipas volley. Uh, but it could, it would really do FAA wonders. If he wants to play like Federer and Tsitsipas, and he wants to play first strike tennis, and he wants his forehand and taking time away to be the basis of his game, he needs to add that next step to go to the net. It'll allow him to have more margin. It'll allow him to finish points without having to hit three great forehands. Maybe he can hit two great forehands and finish an easy volley. It's a lot higher percentage than, than needing to do damage off the bounce constantly. That's just, that's always the case. It is, it is always easier and higher percentage to finish an easy volley or to finish a difficult volley, than it is to hit a winner off the bounce from the baseline. Always. Even if the ball is floating. So, if you look at the, the whole landscape of Felix's percentage tennis, if he could rely more on his volleys, and, and he was more comfortable at the net, if his footwork was better at the net, it's not fine-tuned yet. If he was more comfortable at the net... He would miss less forehands in the midcourt, and he would end points quicker, which is what he wants. That's what's missing from his mold. So I talked about his shot selection last week. All that stuff I still believe. But to add on to it, um, it, would be, it would really serve him well if he got more comfortable at the net. He's fine, by the way. He's not like Zverev. He's not that bad, but, but he, he, he has work to do. Let's get to the comments. First one, um, if both players retired tomorrow, who would have a better clay court career, Djokovic or Federer? Um, so the first thing is when I first read this question, neither of them came to mind. I was like, mm, I don't know. So I had to uh, look at the numbers because that's what this is about. I mean, I certainly... You know, I certainly can't form a, a tennis opinion on this. I, I have to just go to the results. That, that's the only answer here. So uh, the the main thing that's so striking is how close this is, in my opinion. 
uh, because each have one French Open title. That's the most important category is who's won the most majors there. And uh, they each have one. Um, then you go to, okay, Nadal is so good. Let's see who's made the most finals. And Federer actually has the edge in this one. Uh, Federer has made four fine or I hold on, I have it up. Federer's uh, has made one more final than Djokovic. One, two, three, four, five finals. Djokovic has made one, two, three, four finals. So Federer has made one more final than Djokovic. But then you look at the matchup against Nadal and Djokovic is the Djokovic has beaten Nadal in best of five. Djokovic has beaten Nadal at the French Open. But there's two things that kind of put an asterisk um, next to that win against Nadal. One, 2015, Nadal wasn't very good. But more importantly, much more importantly, Djokovic didn't win the tournament that year. He didn't win the French that year. So, I don't know. It matters, but that's, you know, so far it's not really decisive. Now, I think the only answer is to take that head-to-head -head a step further and, and you look at how much trouble Djokovic has given Nadal um, in your Romes of the world, your Madrids of the world. Uh, Djokovic has, has beaten Nadal, uh, Nadal on clay seven times, and Federer's only beaten Nadal on clay twice. That's a pretty big difference. And that's the only place where I think you go to Djokovic and you say, if, you, if I have to answer this question, Djokovic gets the edge. But I see my function here as a purveyor of statistics. I, because th that, that's, all I can, that's all I can offer here is statistics. Um, that's it. Can we talk about Medvedev getting bageled by Simone, please? Do you think Garen um, will continue to improve his clay court game? Can Garin uh, accomplish? I changed it midway there. You see, can Garin accomplish more on other surfaces similar to the way Team has? So let's first talk about Medvedev. He gets bageled in the second set, so he loses six four six zero to Gilles Simone. I went back and, uh, and uh, watched the match, and. A couple things stood out. First, let's just talk about the matchup. I think it's a tough matchup for Medvedev. I think it'll always be a tough matchup for Medvedev. He doesn't have a lot of racket speed. He doesn't generate pace, Medvedev. And no one hits the ball slower than Gilles Simone. He gives no pace. So immediately, Medvedev is not going to like that. Because he doesn't want to generate his own pace. He wants you to hit the ball hard at him so he can redirect that pace. And Simone's not going to do that. Simone, especially on his backhand, he's going to massage the ball and say, you do something. I don't need to do anything. I'll just trade. Medvedev's not going to like that. So what this is going to turn into, and to be frank, I mean, I don't think this is an entertaining match at all. Neither can hurt each other, so you're going to get these long, grueling rallies. Medvedev can't generate much. Simone doesn't want to generate much, has no interest. And uh, 
this is a battle of attrition. Who's willing to suffer? Who's willing to stay longer in rallies? Now, the serve, you would think, might be the X factor, and it just wasn't for, for Medvedev. Simone played a really good match. I thought he was really good in this match. But at the end of the day, here's what the match came down to. Simone was willing to suffer more than Medvedev was willing to suffer. Simone was playing within himself, playing with more patience, and again, just more readily pushing himself to the brink of, of physical pain, where Medvedev, he got impatient. He wanted the points to end, especially in the second set when things started going wrong. And what happened to Medvedev? He panicked, and we've seen it. We've seen him panic before when things aren't going his way, and he starts... He starts slapping the ball around the court. He stops playing within himself. He's not playing his game anymore. He's making errors because Medvedev's just not that prolific offensively. Think of Medvedev's game as Gilles Simone with a much more damaging backhand and a booming first serve. An elite backhand. He's got an elite backhand. But other than that, they win points in the same ways. Medvedev outlasts players. He's more consistent. He has better cardio. He has better movement. By the way, he's going to get some free points on his first serve. That's what's so unique about Medvedev. We've never seen a player like Medvedev with that big a first serve. Never seen it. So that's what Medvedev's going to do. That's what Simone wants to do too. They play the same game. Here's the problem. This is why I had my doubts about Medvedev keeping up the same level that we saw in... Uh, over the course of, the, of last summer because his style is so physical, requires so much physicality and suffering. We know he's willing to do it at the U.S. Open when he's playing Medvedev on, or excuse me, Vavrinka on one leg and, you know, he's coming back from two sets to love down against Nadal in the U.S. Open final. That's one thing. But what about against Gilles Simone in Marseille? Is he going to be willing to suffer against Gilles Simon in Marseille? Man, I mean, that's, that's a different story. It's a different story. So he just wasn't willing to do it. And he has weaknesses. It is not, a, it's, there are issues with his game. This is why players slice against Medvedev. Because you take the pace out of the ball and Medvedev can't actually generate. So what does he have to do? He just needs to, Trade it back and wait. All he can do is wait. And if he's willing to physically suffer and outlast his opponents, which most are not Gilles Simone with incredible endurance, he can, he can still win. But it takes a lot. And you have to be concerned about Medvedev. If he can do that, match in, match out with consistency. Because his style is very physical. This is what I said before the year. Let's see what happens here. Uh, let, let, let's see if he turns things around. Alex James. Uh, can the resurgent Gail Monfils grab a Masters title at Indian Wells or Miami? He's arguably playing some of the best tennis in his career. Yeah, I actually think he can. I, I, I don't know how much I'm going to be able to say on this. Uh, other than... I think that slow hard court is an ideal surface for Monfils. I think that pretty much fits the bill with Indian Wells and Miami. 
he is playing really well. He's moving great. He can still be a wizard when it comes to court coverage. And the distinction with me, with Monfils, he still has a gas tank issue. And because of that, I don't see him ever winning a major. I know that's not a bold statement, but I'm just going to throw it out there. I don't see him as much of a threat in best of five. I don't think the gas tank is there. But in best of three, the gas tank is less of an issue. And I think that before Monfils retires, he's going to win a really big hardcourt title. Okay, now I will go to questions that I do not have screenshots of, but let's uh, let's get through them. Jose Marino wants French Open power rankings. Let's start that next week. Next week, uh, Jeff Salzenstein joins the program, and I will start the French Open power rankings. Uh, is this it for Federer? He's going to lose about half of his points, as this was a really successful stretch of 2019. He'll head into his favorite slam with little practice and probably as a low top 10 seed. No, I don't think this is it for Federer. I think it's very encouraging that, first of all, he wants to get things right. He does not want to play injured uh, or play through pain. He should have no interest in that. He doesn't. He's already had arthroscopic surgery on, on his meniscus, and he came back and won the Australian Open. I'm not saying he's going to do that again, but he's already done this. So he's doing it again. It's not lingering back issues. I'd be, I think that would be more concerning. It's more concerning, one, if he can't move and there's no explanation for it. So now you get your explanation. It's more concerning if he's lost the will to make his body right. So I don't know. That's all I have to say on that. Uh, I don't see any reason why he can't be threatening at Wimbledon. Uh, does Kyrgios have any chance of defending Acapulco? Um, I don't see why not. I think that there are reasons why Kyrgios should love Acapulco and or does love Acapulco. I mean, late at night, great energy. Um, you know, really good crowds. So I don't see why not. Let's see. Um, suppose Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic retire with the same slam count. Hypothetically, what do you think would be the the bigger glip, blip on a glittering CV? Federer, Djokovic never winning Olympic gold or Nadal never winning the ATP finals? Um, because Olympic gold is every four years, you'd have to say Nadal never winning the ATP finals. But I don't really think about that too often with Nadal, to be honest. I don't think that matters too much. Uh, we now have two very interesting young names in the race to London top five, Garin and Rublev. I know it's still too early to judge, but do you like their chances of maintaining their place within the top eight to qualify for London? Yeah, and I realized I missed the uh, the, the second part of the Garin question earlier. Yeah, I, 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 to be honest, subject to change, I'll let you know if this changes. To me, Christian Garin has never been someone who to me, is overly threatening to the big guns. Not that guy. Uh, I don't really see it. Really, you know, great player, but not seeing it. Rublev, yes. I've thought since the beginning of the year that he'll end in the top eight. And what I've seen from him so far in 2020, it's just confirmed that. Rublev is, is playing really good tennis. Uh, good to see.
He's now become the most underlooked next gen. It was Medvedev for a while, even though Medvedev. Well, no. How old is Rublev? Rublev's also a little older. Bo both of the Russians are a little older. Both. Hachinov should be offended. Um, no, no offense, Karen. I didn't mean anything by that. Um, let's see. Who is the better counterpuncher in their prime on all surfaces? Djokovic or Nadal? Ooh. Well, so Nadal's stronger. So Nadal is better at creating offense from defensive positions. But Djokovic is probably better at pure defense, pure scrambling. So counterpuncher, I think Nadal. Uh, how would you assess Dominic Team's performance? Yeah, I, I missed the match, but uh, I don't know. I'm Or I saw some of it. I don't have any takeaways. Sorry. Felix, another final, another choke job. I'm done with Felix. I'm only on Team Rublev now. That's from Gold Wolf. Um, yeah, okay. So, so let's address this. Let's end the show on this. Yeah, let's end the show on this. Um, back to the FAA choker narrative. Guys, stop it. Stop it. Who's better? Who's a better player? Stefanos Tsitsipas or Felix Ojealiasim right now? Who's a better player? Tsitsipas. That's the answer. Better player. Lost to a better player. I don't... How are we a choker from losing to a better player? I think Monfils is better than FAA right now. Better player. Lost to a better player. How is that choking? It's not choking. It's not choking. Sorry. When, when he plays... I don't want to... I'm, I'm not going to take a shot at anyone, but... So when he plays world number 85 in a final and loses, call me. Call me, and then we can talk about it. He lost to, I, I think, uh, Laszlo Jarrah in his first final ever. Other than that, really good players, tough finals. That's it. So choker narrative, I am not there yet. Sorry. All right. As I said, exciting stuff next week. Jeff Salzenstein, founder of Tennis Evolution, former top 100 player. He will join the program that and more Dubai, Acapulco. Until next time, hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe. Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean cellar. the mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. Yeah. New episodes of Fly on the Wall and drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wall and wherever you get your podcasts.